0: Well, thank you for that—that that, uh, that very full uh, introduction and, and, and welcome. Um, uh, Ernesto mentioned that uh, it's blustery outside. I hope it's not blustery inside as well. Um, uh, I'm particularly thinking of the questions afterwards, of course. <laughs> um, uh, yes, um, I do. I do want to um, uh, stand back a little bit from the topic of. Um, uh, certain aspects of uh, the research on tasks because uh, the, main, the main thing I've been concerned about in the last year or so, well it's actually been a growing concern, is, is, is that it seems to me a lot of the work that's been done, a lot of the research that's been done in, into tasks in language learning uh, seems to be missing some really quite crucial uh, aspects of the potential use of tasks in the classroom and uh, I'm going to try to uh, make a case for suggesting that perhaps uh, research has been ignoring some really quite important um, uh, essential aspects of tasks for language learning and it's been concentrating on things which are perhaps uh, a bit more peripheral than the researchers would, would like to Uh, would like to claim Um, uh, yeah I I think I'll um, I'll I'll leave it at that for now Um, the the um, just just a brief word about um, task-based language teaching and the way in which uh, it has kind of grown over the last um, 35 or 36 years um, as an area of research interest um, and I'm going to be very very um, quick in, in, in going through this uh, this, um, uh, this slide um, but it's uh, what I want to do is just just highlight the fact that uh, it, there was the very early work um, that um, was dabbling with the idea of tasks way back in the 1970s uh, where people were looking at uh, Activity types, exercise types, and the way in which different activity types and exercise types might might work. So, there were people who. Uh, a lot of the work was done on uh, speaking, um, spoken activities, oral activities, but there was some research at the time. Uh, some uh, some some work done at the time. Uh, which was looking at reading activities. Uh, Scott and McAlpin produced a paper in 1979 which was looking at different types of reading activities. And although what I'm going to be talking about today is principally um, focusing on oral activities, um, the issue of researching reading activities and indeed writing activities is another aspect of research in the field that on the whole has been pretty badly ignored. Uh, There were uh, a number of early publications on tasks and TBLT uh, that are fairly well known um, that uh, date back to the 1970s and 1980s and through into the uh, early 1990s. But after about 1998, which was the last, as you can see at the bottom of the screen there uh, on the right, on the left, um, you can see Ski in 1998 Um, uh, There was uh, an acceleration of interest in the use of tasks in language teaching. Um, There were a number of, there have been a number of uh, volumes published, um, uh, roughly speaking one a year since 2001. Uh, There was a book series launched uh, in 2008 uh, which is also generating a number of uh, book publications um, uh, 2009, 2011, 2011, 2012, and a cluster uh, coming up, uh, one on tasks in um, uh, computer-based learning. That's the Ortega and González Lloret volume. Uh, Burns and Manchón are doing something on uh, reading and writing. That's the volume on reading and writing. Uh, Peter Skien has got one coming up uh, on um, the, uh, uh, the fluency, accuracy, complexity uh, research. And um, Shintani's got one on tasks uh, for young learners. So what I'm trying to do is just sort of sketch out the growth in the field since the early years. Um, there's also been a biennial set of conferences and uh, since 2005. The, the next one is going to be uh, later this year in, um, in Canada and you can see from uh, the list of speakers that actually the, there have been quite a wide range of speakers, um, who've, plenary speakers who have been um, uh, addressing the topic of TBLT. Uh, the people, some of the names you, you might expect like Mike Long and Peter Skian and uh, Peter Robinson um, but some names you, you, you might not necessarily uh, expect quite so uh, so uh, readily. People like Bernie Mohan, uh, um, perhaps Heidi Burns. You might not have expected to appear there, and Scott Thornbury, who gave a talk on um, uh, at one of the conferences, uh, the last conference in New Zealand, in two thousand and eleven. Um, of course, there have been uh, publications of tasks with tasks as a key, and I 've got a, a small selection of uh, references here. but on the whole, um, you can see from the way in which this, um, this slide is, is, is laid out that the majority of the activity in publications has been focused on research, and there's been much less work on Uh, materials and much more much less concern with the development and exploration of uh, materials development. Finally um, just to complete the picture um, uh, I think it's worth uh, just remembering that tasks have been used uh, as have been adopted as regional or national educational policies in quite a wide range of of contexts Um, uh, Belgium uh, particularly the Flanders part of Belgium um, there's also the uh, People's Republic of China. It's been adopted uh, uh, regionally in France, um, uh, in Germany, uh, Hong Kong, Korea, Japan, Malaysia, New Zealand, Singapore, Spain, and uh, there, and and Vietnam. So, um, TBLT uh, is, is has has, has grown. Um, it's been growing. Uh, but what I want to uh, this, this, this evening is I want to um, suggest that if we think about the bottom part of this, this slide, the bottom part is a part that has been uh, relatively neglected and especially neglected by researchers. What I'm going to want to do during the, this talk is, 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 is argue that in order to do justice to the teaching part of TBLT Uh, research needs to uh, change, in in, in our part of the field, research needs to change its focus. Okay, Um, so I'm going to start um, by thinking briefly about the task as a workspace uh, for language use and development. And uh, I've got uh, an example of a a simple um, task which is an echo actually of uh, a slide which Bernie Mohan uh, used uh, at a, a plenary he did uh, at the task-based learning uh, and teaching conference in Lancaster um, five years ago uh, when he, um, he showed a, a, a shot of his grandson um, on the beach um, giving himself the task of building a sandcastle and he started his talk by uh, suggesting that the task of building a sandcastle is uh, a nice prototypical example of a everyday task in which learning takes place. Um, I've taken an example of, of a slightly different kind of uh, activity, the um, which I think everybody probably here recognises what we call hopscotch, um, which involves the. involves the. Um, the player, I think you probably call them a player, um, in doing a number of things. There's a number of things that normally the, the, the player has to do. In this particular case it's been done for him actually, drawing and numbering the boxes. When I was a kid um, uh, life was harder and uh, we had to draw our own boxes and then, and then and then number them as well and we did them since we did, used to use chalk or bits of stone to do it, then the, the rain usually washed them away. So next time you went out into the playground and you wanted to play it again, you had to start over and draw your, draw your boxes and number them again. Um, you then, In playing, you then have to throw the stone in the right square. You have to hop or, or jump. You have, of course, to do it in the right order. If you do it in the wrong order, then uh, you get castigated and you have to go to the back of the queue and start over again. You mustn't step outside the box or you mustn't fall over. Um, So there's a whole number of skills here which uh, constitute the game as an activity. Um, When you watch somebody, when you watch children doing this, of course, they don't do this in silence. There's a certain amount of language uh, which is used. And the language is embedded within the task. The language that's uh, used is all contextualized within the enactment of this activity. Um, So kids will say, that box should be number three, not number two. Your stone missed the box. You're out. You didn't hop. You got to hop. But you didn't do it in the right order. You're out. You stepped outside the box, and he fell over as well. And variations are possible to this. Of course, you can do it without using a stone. You can use somebody, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It might be done. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not quite sure how this one works actually, it can be done uh, as, as, as teamwork rather than as competitive individual activity, there are variations in the activity. So um, in the playground uh, we'll find um, that children are learning um, the activity and learning variations in the activity and uh, in performing the activity they also Uh, they also use language. Language (coughs) um, helps, uh, (coughs) language has a kind of two-way relationship with a task. The task can focus and help understand language for a newcomer to the game. And language of course helps perform the task. Somebody from outside the community, uh, a a non-speaker of English, might well find that games like this are fantastic opportunities for language learning. And in the process of learning the language, uh, in, in the process of learning the game, they're learning the language. Um, learning the language helps them to perform the task. So there's this sort of broad relationship, which uh, is one which um, constitutes um, a, an everyday type of task, which might occur inside the walls of the school, um, possibly under the roof, but not necessarily. Um, There are a number of tasks that have been referred to in the literature and a famous one which was referred to, which was suggested I think perhaps rather frivolously by Mike Long and Graham Crooks was the notion of painting a fence. An everyday task. And one of the things that I wondered about painting a fence was, was, is was whether painting a fence is quite such a simple, um, pointless uh, and uh, uninteresting activity as uh, Mike Long himself seemed to imply. Uh, There are one or two things about uh, painting a fence which it seemed to me um, suggest that it's perhaps not quite as straightforward an activity as as first uh, meets the eye. It uh, involves, if you're going to paint uh, a fence, you're involved in preparing the materials, you prepare the paint, you clean down the fence beforehand, you prepare the brush. You have to paint the wooden slats um, top to bottom, Uh, you probably have to paint all the edges, make sure that uh, Uh, You do do that properly. Um, You have to move the paint pot without spilling it as you go. Uh, These are things you can see. Actually, I've thought about this quite carefully because I'm not particularly good at these activities and the chances are i probably make quite a mess. Um, So you mustn't spill the paint pot. You must avoid drips. You clean up afterwards. And as you do this, um, you uh, probably uh, learn how to perform the task doing all of these various things, um, you are likely to improve your performance on the task. Um, And if you think about painting, um, even something as simple as painting a fence, uh, it's apparent that actually an activity like this is structured. It's organized. There's a sequence to things and there are skills and sub-skills that are involved. Now I know that this is a very trivial example but the point uh, behind taking a trivial example was to illustrate that even a a trivial example like this, an apparently trivial example like this, does involve the principle of a structured, organized, hierarchically um, um, uh, organized uh, activity and this, this is a quite typical of Uh, what we understand, um, what I'm understanding, by a task. I don't think it's something which the literature has generally acknowledged. I don't think this is something that Mike Long and Co have ever referred to as being a a property of tasks. So when we give people a task to do, we're giving people an activity, a holistic activity, um, which they have to work their way through in order to complete. And the learning that they're doing involves quite a rich range of decisions and sub-decisions which they need to be able to uh, handle. And oh, there's one that's popped up at the end there. One of the things that uh, um, is uh, likely to um, results at the very end of doing this particular task is evaluating the finished product. Um, there is an outcome which is open for evaluation. Right, so um, I've been trying to illustrate in a very simple terms the, the notion of a task as being a hierarchically structured organized uh, activity. Um, and so in order to To put that into words, um, a definition, um, a pragmatic definition of a task would be an activity for teaching and learning language that requires a non linguistic outcome mediated through language. It might be the answer to a problem, a decision, a plan, a picture or diagram, a story, a table or chart, which students complete using whatever language they wish. Now in order what I want to do in the rest of this talk is I want to look a little bit more um, briefly at the rationale for using tasks then I want to situate TBLT research and a potential pedagogical perspective um, and then I want to look at some sample tasks and some implications. Now I'm going to be going fairly quickly through the first two of these, these, um, these uh, parts of the talk uh, because as you'll see they they are the slides are fairly schematic, and um, I, but I think that they, and I think they're making points which are not difficult to um, establish. If people want to raise questions about them at the end of the talk, you'd be very welcome to. Um, so, starting from the assumption that TBLT is a view of language use and learning, I'm assuming that much of our language, both first and second language is normally used in the context of structured and self-structuring activities of the kind that we've been looking at in everyday life and at work and at play. And I'm assuming that these contexts can be very effective spaces for learning to take place. So for example, in everyday contexts, we find tasks like um, uh, undertaking going through interviews at the bank. Uh, doctor's consultations, check-in desk interactions at airports, servicing counters in shops, in restaurants, organising one's children at the start or end of day, exchanging news at the end of the day around the table. Uh, in all these contexts, uh, we have to learn what the procedures are for going through the various events that we might be engaged in. The task as a whole, the macro event, is the thing within which our language has to be mobilized. At work, similarly, there are things like meetings, using the computer for writing, um, providing goods and services, joint planning, managing, evaluating. And at play, there's things like the kinds of language users that er arise around. Uh, singing events, music activities, uh, dance and uh, theatre experiences, uh, walking and climbing activities, uh, telling stories, planning activities, all sorts of um, leisure activities which themselves are similarly structured and can be seen as structured uh, around a series of tasks and these tasks and activities are are events in which language is is activated, in which language is contextualized and in which language is purposeful. Child language learning um, pops up as one of the things which is associated with um, both everyday contexts and play and references uh, there which um, are particularly uh, germane uh, uh, is the work of Jerome Bruner Uh, 1983 and uh, Gordon Wells' work on child language learning in 1985. We find tasks being used across the curriculum in Maths, Geography, History, Economics, in Sports, in Drama and Music, Science and in CDT and and ICT. Um, Each of these um, are, are areas of the curriculum are very typically um, organized around tasks. Uh, I remember having studied, um, or having watched, working with a teacher in CDT and uh, watching how he had uh, kids um, making wooden games um, and and how uh, he had them working um, constructing labyrinths with little balls that you had to sort of roll around roll around the um, the, the, uh, a box, a, gla- a glassed-in box. And he had these kids working on this um, for several, for several lessons and um, it, it was quite clear that as they built the model they would, they would, as they built the game, they were engaged in a very clear task and within that task language was absolutely essential for mediating the different parts, the different phases of the construction. So school learning is seen as, um, um, uh, f- can, be, can be seen as being very widely um, uh, contextualized within, within uh, a range of tasks in the different parts of the curriculum. The rationale for the use of tasks for teaching language then, TBLT sees tasks as providing a workspace for learning and teaching language through use and around use. In particular, providing contexts which support, focus and motivate learners learning, their exploration and their mastery of language. As seen as activities for developing knowledge of language and the skills to use it. Now I'm trying to emphasize here how there really ought to be a very close relationship between the task and the language and the particular domains of language which the students Uh, are being taught and are hoping to learn. Um, The question then is, um, what kinds of research questions might might, might we ask? And I've got two or three types of research questions which would seem to follow from this kind of approach. General sorts of research topics might be questions like, how can tasks be designed to activate lexical and grammatical domains. What kinds of tasks might activate lexical and grammatical domains related to areas of everyday life? The kitchen, the factory, the farm, fashion, travel and transport and so on. How can tasks be designed to activate different types of discourse? For example, description, narration, instruction, description of processes, explanation and such like. And a, talk, a sort of research and development question we might, we might, we might be interested in, in, in the context of lessons, might be what are the different ways in which tasks can be used in lessons to develop the, as, the above aspects of language? So what I'm trying to focus on, I suppose, is to say, well look, if if Tasks are holistic activities in which people people are challenged to complete the task, complete the activity. What sorts of language experience are we trying to give the students? What sorts of language experience, what sorts of aspects of language are we trying to use the tasks to focus on? What are the aspects of the lexical and grammatical domains that particular tasks are intended to target? Um, and are tended to activate. What kinds of discourse are we expecting? Discourse experience are we expecting the students to get out of particular tasks? And if that is our concern, then we ought to be perhaps asking the question um, at the bottom of the slide, um, how can tasks be used by teachers? What are the ways in which teachers might work around the tasks, with the tasks, use the tasks as one of the tools that they have in the, in, in the curriculum uh, um, to complement the other kinds of resource that they have. So this is the sort of um, uh, focus I'm, I'm trying to get at. Uh, rather like um, the, the, what we might, might say, if we were going to, to teach a kid hopscotch, what are the particular aspects of hopscotch that we would be trying to teach? What, would we be, what are the skills that we would be trying to teach the kid? What would be the language we might be trying to teach the kid around the, the game of Hopscotch? In similar, in similar terms, if we've got a language task, we ought to be asking the question surely, what's the language that's I- embedded in this task and how can it be encouraged by the teacher? So, uh, the, do the researchers focus on these things? Well, no, <laughs> on the whole they don't. And uh, um, I'd like to just sort of illustrate very briefly um, in case it's, I don't know to what extent you're familiar with the literature, um, just illustrate briefly the main thrust of the kind of research that's been carried on um, in this particular domain. Um, There are three main approaches to research and the first one, uh, interaction hypothesis, um, which seems to highlight the importance of interaction between the students in the context of tasks for learning to take place and the focus of that research seems almost exclusively to ignore the nature of the language and to focus heavily on the nature of the interaction and that's the kind of research where we get a focus on things like recasts and the negotiation of meaning, where people say things like, A, what do you mean? I don't understand what you're saying. And the other person repeats. And then the first person says, I still don't understand. <laughs> so the, the second person then finds a paraphrase. And the first person says, Oh, do you mean this? And the other one says, Yes, or maybe not, maybe says no. And by bouncing, pinging and ponging the the misunderstanding or the lack of understanding backwards and forwards, maybe they succeed in understanding each other and maybe, maybe there is success some step towards language learning. I'm, I'm caricaturing very slightly but I think that the broad gist of this area of research is to ignore the language and to concentrate on the interactive processes and there's a raft of literature um, which looks at this adopts this approach um, to um, task-based language. A second approach is one where I've actually um, very modestly left my name out because I'm trying to criticize this. <laughs> <laughs> no, surely not. <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, skill theory has, has is in many ways a very interesting way into looking at tasks because um, if if you assume that skill theory looks at how um, fluency, accuracy and complexity can develop through practice on tasks, as people when people start working on a task maybe they are extremely hesitant because the, the words they need, the language they need is slow to come. Maybe there are gaps in the language that they, 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 they could use, but there might be a point where as they become more expert at the task, they become more skillful in using the language and therefore we might expect the language to become more accurate, perhaps more complex, and certainly more fluent, just as uh, in other domains of, 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 of life, like, 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 like cooking and riding a bike and maybe playing tennis and playing the piano. So I think skill theory is an interesting way into this. But um, uh, unfortunately, again, the skill theorists have tended not to be interested in the language. They have tended to be interested in global measures of fluency Global measures of accuracy and of complexity. Nobody asks the question, fluent in what? Nobody asks the question, accurate in what? Or what kind of complexity? That doesn't seem to matter very much. The predominance is to take a a group of students and see if under certain circumstances, giving them planning time, for example, Generally, they are more accurate, or generally they are more complex, or generally they are more fluent. But the question is not asked, what's the language? That that question is not not asked. So uh, that's a frustration here if we're interested in looking at how tasks might help language learning. Uh, the third area of uh, research and, uh, has, been, has been the use of sociocultural theory, looking at um, the idea that all learning seems to derive from the co-construction of um, meanings between uh, learner and others. This is a, uh, an approach which, is, which draws, as you probably are aware, very heavily on the work of Vygotsky and on interpretations of Vygotsky. Um, But you can see, I think, fairly clearly that there is is a relationship, a close relationship between the interaction hypothesis on the left hand side of the screen and the socio-cultural approach on the right because both both these two approaches highlight the importance of some some aspect of interaction between the participants. Um, In none of the cases do they seem to be concerned about the language. Um, The main approach of the socio-cultural theorists is actually, if anything, to say that it's in the nature of interaction for it to be um, impossible to predict what the students are going to to do. Um, That because people co-construct meanings, we can't anticipate what meanings they're going to co-construct and consequently we can't anticipate what language they're going to use. Now, it seems to me that that, that is, and that's very explicitly argued in particular by people like um, uh, Patsy Duff and Rick Donato. Um, And it seems to me that uh, if we are going to be using um, tasks in a classroom in order to teach language, then we ought to have some sense of a notion of how the tasks might relate to language development. What aspects of language justify the use of a particular task? It seems to me that that's... uh, that's a pre- an assumption um, that that is that must be essential to any any selection of materials for the language classroom. Consequently, uh, sociocultural theory fails the test, as far as I'm concerned, because they are basically denying the predictability of uh, of the language uh, in 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 in, uh, in 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 ways which don't seem to uh, converge with the direction. It seems to me that. Um, a pedagogic approach to, ta- to the use of tasks might might wish to go. So relatively little research has focused on the language of learners or on how teachers can exploit tasks for teaching language. So <clears throat> if teachers are to use tasks to teach with um, a couple of questions we're going, we might want to ask, I would want to ask is how do the different designs of tasks relate to the language students use? And the second question How can teachers use tasks for teaching language? Right, at this point I'm going to look at a little bit of data um, and I think I'm probably going to need 15 to 20 minutes, is that okay? Yeah? Okay. Stopping about, about, about six, is that okay? Right. So, um, I'm going to introduce briefly three tasks. Um, I'm going to um, look at the relationship between tasks, these three tasks, and language. And I'm going to do that in terms, in two terms. Firstly, in terms of the phases of the way in which they, the strategic phases, the ways in which the students go through the tasks. And secondly, in terms of the language content. Next, after that, I'd I'd like briefly to look at teaching with tasks. a further sample task um, and I want to discuss briefly how that lesson that's reported could, what, what that might suggest um, for the use of tasks within lessons and within schemes of work. And finally, conclusion. So I'm going to try to spend about um, six or seven maybe minutes on, 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 on this one and six or seven minutes on this and then Uh, keep the other two parts short. So introducing three tasks. The three tasks are, right, here they are. That's a bit out of one. And that's a bit out of a second one. And that's a bit out, out, out of a third one. OK. And um, you, uh, you, you might be able to work out from those little extracts what the tasks are. Um, <laughs> one is a 20 questions task. Another one is a picture differences task. And the third one is a picture story, a sort of jigsaw picture story. And uh, the one on the top left is the jigsaw picture story. The one on the top right is the picture differences task. And the one at the bottom is a kind of 20 questions type task. Okay. Picture differences activity, the pairs of students have similar pictures and talk to each other to find out the differences. And the outcome of that is the students find a number of differences. Twenty questions game: students ask questions to enable them to work out a word on a student's card. And the picture story activity, students find the story in the pictures without seeing each other's pictures. And in the outcome, the students may or may not, they should end up with a full story and they may or may not finish by telling the story. So here's some, a brief look at some of the features of language that we get on these tasks. So here we've got um, one group working on a picture differences task. And I'm going to contrast that with another group working on... Um, I think on the same, I think on the same task. So I'd like you just to have a look at that so that you get a feel for how that seems to be panning out. Okay, you've got probably the picture, the general picture of the way in which these two students are working. And here's another pair of students. It looks as though there's a bit of Russian that's crept in the middle of that one, but it's, uh, that's, that's, that's a typo, it's me, that's not the, the students. Okay. Now, um, it's the same task. Um, they're doing the same task, but uh, one of the things that uh, w- comes out of that is, is you start to notice that they're doing it in a different way. And the one on the left here, um, you can see how uh, we have a series of two-part exchanges. So what what we're having is one student pointing to a feature on the picture and the other one giving you a yes or no answer, basically. I have it. I don't have it. It says 10. Mine says 12. Um, There is no no sort of extensive discourse on this. This is very much broken down analytically into very small turns, one small move at a time. Um, And we get... But what we do get is uh, the differences are gradually coming out. They're being shelled out like peas, one, one after another coming out of the pod. So there is some hard work going on here. Um, one of them is basically directing the attention of the other. The other one is saying something about what they can see. And then the first one is saying, it's the same or it's different. <laughs> and then next one, next, po- next point. Uh, point, point me to the next bit same or different and so they're going on, they're breaking the task down into little bits. If we look at the other, the other pair you can see that there's a slightly different structure to the way in which they're working it. Um, here you get one very large sequence uh, in which, which is made up of two parts really, um, one a very long um, this is this, this one part is uh, the the bit that I've I've surrounded here is really student two giving it an extended description of the picture. Okay, extended description of the picture and then we get student one at the bottom saying, okay, so mine is very similar but on the top of the door there is a clock, but it's not 12 o'clock, it's just 10 o'clock. Yes, one difference and then going through the other differences. So you've got one of the students who has an extended extended, uh, stretch of speech and then the other one has remembered all of the points which he's noted or she's noted as the first one is speaking and just lists them one at a time. One, two, three, that's done. Um, so what we've got is two completely different strategies here for dealing with the problem. Uh, one is a, a strategy which deals with one item at a time, and the other one is a strategy which is much longer, involves much longer uh, turns of talk. And what seems to be happening here is that we've got a much higher proficiency. St- uh, we've got two, two, two approaches, the approach of higher proficiency students compared with the, the approach of lower proficiency students and when you look at the lower proficiency students what we've got is, um, it's, I'll go back a bit, that's, that's the lower proficiency group who have broken the task down into very small moves and the higher proficiency group is the group which Um, is able to do longer turns and process the thing. What's happening in effect is a much more fluent handling of the task. Now, um, okay, what we're getting is different types of discourse and the students have broken the task down strategically into different phases. So we've got the same task, but it's chunked in different ways by the different groups of students. Now that's one of the levels at which one might be looking at tasks. One might be um, concerned to explore the kinds of discourse that students, the kinds of discourse experience that the students are getting um, as they do a task of this kind. And of course if the teacher is aware of the, the level of the students, they can teach to that in a way which might affect the level of achievement that you could get students to uh, derive from, from doing a task of this kind. In other words, you might be able to push more advanced learners to doing, producing more discursive um, talk, more extended um, turns and you might do something to help the uh, lower proficiency students um, pick their way through a task um, in a way which, which matches the, the level at which they are operating. And of course as you get this uh, data you can start to see patterns of, of talk that are coming through patterns of language that are coming through the vocabulary that's coming through coming out and the the grammar that's coming out so we're getting we get we're getting progressives uh, we're getting uh, relative clauses used to identify people um, uh, and we're getting obviously the vocabulary that's associated with a particular task they've been given um, uh, the vocabulary is something that is in common between the more advanced and the less advanced. Uh, the more advanced ones are in fact because you've got a student that's, that's giving uh, essentially an extended description of, um, the, of the picture, you get a lot more of the um, progressives there because um, the student starts focusing on the actions of the, the characters and the pictures. Um, maybe we might find here that there is in fact a different emphasis on language depending on on student level. My concern is that if we're to look at um, the language of a task we can look at it at these two levels. The level of the discourse patterning and the level of the the grammar and the vocabulary that's embedded in the task. Um, I'll move in order to keep track of time, uh, I'm going to move um, on to one more task here, um, which is the picture differences. I'll, I'll, I'll um, I'm sorry, the, the picture story task. Um, and I'd like to look at briefly at four parts, four extracts from the picture story. Um, uh, let's just look at them one at a time. But what I've got here is I've got extracts from the same group working on uh, this task of having to talk through uh, the business of identifying the sequence, identifying the story behind the four pictures. or oh, I think that maybe there were six pictures. They have, to, um, they have to describe the pictures to each other in order to put together the story. And uh, analyzing the data, um, one of the things that came out was that Um, We find that at different phases of the recording, they are doing different kinds of things. The the whole task breaks itself down into different phases. And they start with a description activity, a description part of the activity. They're simply describing each other's picture, their own pictures to each other. Another of the things that they'd need to do, though, is if they're going to sequence the pictures, they have to, dis- they have to compare them and contrast them. Because it's, it's very difficult to, it's impossible to sequence pictures unless you can note significant similarities and significant differences between the pictures. Otherwise, you don't know which comes first and which, was, which is likely to come first and which comes second. So one of the things they have to do, and this was consistent throughout the groups, was they had to compare and contrast each other's other's pictures. They had to provide, identify similarities and differences between their pictures. Um, Another of the things that they did um, was um, try to identify the overall gist or the logic of the story, which is a slightly different thing from any of the things they've been doing so far. They have to try to identify overall cause or overall purpose of the characters. What is it that they're trying to do? Um, and uh, at certain points some of them will say well I think what's happening here is um, and here we've got G saying uh, the second the second student saying, so the bird could tie the dog up and that would be a nice idea but no I don't think so just the bird wanted to eat something so and then maybe the dog so they're trying to speculate about what the logic is behind the story and then of course there's a point where they sequence um, the pictures, they try to sequence the pictures, sometimes they do several runs of sequencing the pictures, and then finally they actually tell the story. Sometimes, sometimes they don't, but uh, they will, in this particular group, they told the story. So a, an activity, a single task like this, can break down into sub phases. When we talk about a task, um, a task has sub parts to it and in in, in some cases, um, uh, this, the subparts are really quite distinct. And, and this particular activity, quite clearly, is actually a series of sub-activities. Uh, if we're thinking about the language activity that's taking place, then we have, to, we have to realize that there might be different language activities at different points in the task. And Although this isn't a really complicated task, even a task like this, where there are just six pictures, and the students are having to tell each other the differences in order to be able to tell the story, they break the whole task down into distinct phases. And this was a a finding which was quite consistent uh, across uh, the groups that I looked at. They didn't all necessarily do all the phases. For example, they didn't all necessarily do the narrative part. But the majority of the phases were phases which they all found themselves doing Presumably because they found that that was a useful way of trying to work their way through from beginning to end So they developed a strategy in a way um, to pick their way through the task Okay um, so um, In the, where the the picture story um, task is concerned we find a number of features Which are quite distinct from the features that we found on the other some of the other tasks which we looked at Um, Students describe, they comment on similarities and differences, they suggest possible sequences, uh, 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 they suggest a full story sequence, and then um, they will tend to tell the sequence as a story. And dragged along with that of course uh, is the grammar, vocabulary, and adjectives and adverbs which they need in order to be able to accomplish the task. Okay, (laughs) so um, I've got and I won't dwell on this, but you can see that the argument behind this would be that we could look at the picture differences, 20 questions, and picture story task in terms of the phases, the way in which the students are working their way through the task, which is something that might be useful, might well be useful in all sorts of ways for the teacher. And we might also find that, I'm going to move on beyond that, we find also that there are those patterning of language features uh, across the three Task, I seem to have lost something there. I know there they are. So that we would look at the, at the, we can equally well look at the, the grammar, the vocabulary um, uh, uh, across the three tasks to see what the content is of each, of each task, and dis- which would lead us to distinguish between task A, B, and C. Now I'm aware I'm running a bit behind, but I would like to spend a couple more minutes just looking at the teaching of the use of a task in the classroom, because this is another area which I think has been seriously neglected. Um, I'm going to take a a, a task which some of you may know from the work of Virginia Samuda, and I'd like to um, just spend a moment or two um, focusing our attention on on a task of this kind. Um, This is a task which uh, Virginia uh, refers to as a things-in-pockets task. Um, The briefing is on the screen. The initial briefing is on the screen in front of you. So, the question at the top of the screen is what language domain is likely on this task? Um, If you're not familiar with this particular task, I'd invite you to speculate um, about what language domain you think this task might be oriented towards. You can speculate silently if you wish. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, um, as one of, the, um, <clears throat> one of the prompts for the students, the teacher gave them this. Maybe you'd like to continue speculating about what the language domain was <laughs> or maybe you've now stopped speculating. Um, and there was this this bit of advice you can use the chart to organize your ideas and to show how certain you are about each each one okay now um, um, as as you've probably realized the um, this is um, a task which is which is actually oriented quite clearly towards a particular area of language which can be can be can be referred to as modality and, and, and that involves modal verbs, but you could also talk about modal adjectives, uh, modal adverbs, adverbs of probability, possibility, certainty, or certainty, or perhaps there are some words that would refer to certainty or ignorance, I don't know. Um, The task then is designed to be used to engage work on a particular language domain. How did the teacher use a ta- this, this task um, in the study that um, uh, 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 Virginia Samuda um, reported? First of all, the teacher sets a cognitive schema, asks the students to guess what's in her briefcase. She introduces the task, the setting, the procedure, working in groups, and the brief to report back at the end. And actually, they're, they're briefed also to um, prepare a poster in which they would present their conclusions about the likely owner of the overcoat. The teacher distributes material, instructions, the objects, and checks understanding. The students then work in groups and they're working on the task. Now, <clears throat> after five to seven minutes, the teacher starts to intervene uh, to elicit the student's current thinking pushing their account of their degree of certainty using the table 0% likely to 100% certain. Then as it becomes useful explicitly introduces potentially useful expressions, adverbs and modals in particular. Then students continued working in groups towards the poster that they were going to prepare. In the study that she reported, the students started to use expressions which the teacher had introduced in the previous phase, in the previous step. At the end of the task, each group reports back and the teacher insists on the precise estimate of probability, focuses on modals, and provides recasts of target language. And then, finally, um, the teacher provides specific grammar practice on the target language. Uh, One or two remarks about this. Virtually no research at any time that we're aware of has studied the teacher's use of tasks within lessons or schemes of work. Tasks are researched unhinged, as it were. There are no relationship to the teaching of anything at all. They're just decontextualized um, studies. Virtually no research has examined teachers' engagement with the students on task work. So there's no studies that we're aware of where the teacher, which is, which have looked at how the teacher has, has engaged with the students to find out how the students are doing and provided them with feedback and then built on what the students are doing or interacted with what the students are doing. That, that seems completely absent from the literature. And, f- and finally, there's virtually no research which has explored how tasks may be used along with various other types of learning activity before, during or after. There's no sense in which the task is used as a reference point for grammatical practice, grammatical explanation, or various other, other time, types of activity. They, the task is on its own. It's never, it's never reported in, 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 it's never studied or, or, or analyzed in relation to other pedagogic activities. It's, it's just, again, it's unhinged in a way, in that, in that, in that way as well. Uh, another point I'd like to like to draw your attention to is that it, the study that we've just been looking at is, is um, if we look, at, we could draw on um, a framework which Chris Brumfitz suggested in 1979, <laughs> where he he was talking about communicative language teaching, and he said um, that in communicative language teaching, in prior to communicative language teaching, within the presentation, practice, and production approach, um, the idea was you present the language, you practice the language, and then you produce it in context. And you're probably familiar with the idea that most, in this kind of PPP approach, most of the time and attention would be on the first and the second of those phases. And the last would tend to get squeezed out. So Brumfit in those days suggested reversing this and start with communicating as far as possible then presenting language items which was shown to be useful for communication and then practice or drill as necessary. And I I would like to suggest that what Virginia Smuda was reporting in in her study effectively follows the suggestions that Chris Brumfitt proposed. 30 years ago or so, um, that you can start from the task and use that as the context for introducing new language and use that as a reference point for practicing or drilling as necessary. And if we were to look at that, if we were to think more globally about how the task uh, might figure in schemes of work, we might see the task as somewhere somewhere as a sort of hub with pre-task activities of various kinds, post-task activities of various kinds, and the teacher interacting uh, both pre-, while-, and post-task. The task is just a reference point for all sorts of other kinds of work that are carried out. Um, And um, I'll post this. um, We'll post this on on the website. And if you want to um, ask me after the the presentation or by email, I'd be be glad to discuss this further. So um, conclusion. Uh, Reorienting research and development to focus on language. I think some questions that we could usefully and should be asked if tasks are going to have a chance of really um, being used as uh, an approach to teaching and not just an approach to research, um, the questions might include these. How far do tasks provide a useful workspace including a demand which focuses on students' language and a context for motivating future practice. How far does choice of task affect students' language and discourse? So really, centrally, I think uh, much more research is needed in order to explore how um, tasks uh, mobilize language. There's also questions around the um, opportunities for use, reuse, and refining of language. Uh, How far do um, tasks help students continue working or prompt students to rehearse? Um, How far do tasks provide opportunities for um, improvement as the teacher highlights relevant language at various points? How far do tasks provide opportunities um, for learning as students report back to the teacher or as the teacher monitors or as the students check? Uh, There's a whole series of things that could be going on here in the relationship between the task as a place for for, for learning the language, um, which which research has simply simply ignored. Uh, If TBLT is to work, we need research that is responsive to classroom needs, um, developing materials, exploring the use of tasks, and collaborating uh, in an open-minded way to provide institutional support. I think these are areas which uh, you would expect a researched approach to the use of tasks in the classroom to have dealt with. But these are all areas that I think have been almost totally ignored. So anyway, thank you very much for your attention and for for your patience.